Welcome to Saga Craft. Myths, fairy tales, legends, stories comfort us, inspire us, and heal us. Please join us as we share stories, both old and new. More than anything, we are open to the story and its unfolding. At times, it may be one story told by one person. At times, it's the same story told through three different voices. In the end, we go where the story takes us, and we invite you to follow. I'm C, a writer, artist, and storyteller. I'm Betsy, a medium and teacher of mystery traditions. I'm Gabriella, an artist and practitioner of folk magic. We, we are, are magical, magical fairy godmothers, godmothers in, in training. training. This evening, as we're recording this story about the dark moon mounds, it is the night of the first dark moon of the new year of 2021, which we hope Every single one of us hope is going to be an amazing year for you. And even though you're hearing this later, imagine that you step out into the night sky. And if it's clear enough, you would see the dark moon. And under the dark moon, in your best clothes, you would be thinking about all the things that you would love to have occurring in this new year. And that is what we wish for you. The story tonight is about the Dark Moon Mounds, and the Dark Moon Mounds are a feature of the supernatural landscape in the Nordic tradition. Torvi tucked a heavy woolen blanket around her grandmother and laid a sheepskin over her lower legs, checking to make sure soft stockings still covered her gnarled feet. She thought about putting shoes on her, but she decided to wait and continued her preparations. Ulla seemed lost in dreams, dozing near the fire on a pallet of furs. Torvi knew that she may well be awake and asleep at the same time and refrained from making any jarring noises as she unpacked herbs rowan berries, and salt fish for the journey the two of them were to make. She considered hemp seeds and put them aside in case of need. She put her own warm clothing and red boots near the door. Looking over at Ulla, still sleeping, Torvi wrapped a big shawl around herself, pulled on her boots, and after unlatching the wooden door, stepped out into the night. The wind was up clouds scudding across the sky and revealing the new moon in the crystal clarity of a northern winter night sky. Mani, the moon, shone down on her and Torvi felt the blessing inherent in this night, perfect for their purposes. She began reciting the names of her dear family's women, her own name, Torvi Thordis daughter, her mother Thordis Ulla's daughter, her grandmother Ulla Miss daughter, her great grandmother Mist Kara's daughter, and so on for ten generations back. Tonight she might see them all to show them the daughter that was growing within her. She would name her heir, for the signs of that name were already present. Thinking of her daughter and her mother's, she felt the chain of maternal love and strength reaching back to the beginning. 
The smell of wood smoke, spruce trees and snow swirled around, dusting her with light snowflakes. She felt ready. And it was time. She went back into her home and finished her preparations. She placed a packed bag that held the offerings and woven bands in a design all of her own near her grandmother. These were for the Desir, the grandmothers of her people. She put several flasks of mead made from honey taken from hides in the high meadows in the sunny season into the bag as well. She tenderly placed her grandmother's shoes on her feet and found her slight hands tucked away in all the blankets and shawls. She held them until her grandmother gripped her hands in return. It's time, Ulla. The moon and the mound await us. She could feel her grandmother struggling a little to respond and said gently, let me help you as you've helped me all these years. She helped her to a position sitting upright and adjusted her to cradle her in her arms. Her grandmother sighed a little with a tear coming out of the corner of her faded blue eyes. It's time, she said, and then, will they remember me? Will they know who I am? Oh yes, can't you hear them calling you? I think I can. I'll be sorry to leave you and her. You'll come back to visit her when she's born and you'll give her pet name to her. And by this, we will know about her and about you. Let Bjorn know I see he will be good to you and to her and that your next will be the son. Bjorn wants his daughter too, Ulla, and he'll be glad to hear about his son. Laying by the fire, warming and shining with a particular oiled sheen, was Ulla's iron staff. Here, Ulla. It jingled a little due to the charms on the top and the bottom of it. I'll ride it to the mound, and you'll ride it home. Ulla, I thought you'd want it with you. I want you to have it. In about a dozen years, you'll need it. I'm honored, my grandmother. I want you prepared. Her grandmother patted her arm and started to croon a song. Her voice was weak and rusty and faltering a little, then gaining in strength. It was Vardlöcher, the song calling her beloved land whites. She sang to them, letting them know she had one long journey ahead of her. Torvi tried her best not to weep at the sadness and dismay of the Tomte. He'd been with her for decades. The other spirits knew she would soon be like them and that she would feel freedom and the ability to move and dance as she had when she was young. They wove power around them and Torvi could taste and smell and feel individual strands of magic coming to wind around them. Joining in the song, she rocked her grandmother and kept on rocking until her spirit slid out. Torvi followed and they reveled in the freedom as they shot up through the smoke hole and out into the winter sky.
The land whites were there, and so was Grandfather Spruce, who called out his blessing to Ula. She waved and pointed upwards. Up they flew. They headed north, the pole star shining strongly. It was amazing to look down on the treetop shining like dark stars in the light and snowfield land. And then to look up and see the light star shining in the dark sky. Off in the distance, they could see other travelers bound for the north and the dark mounds. The travelers to the right came closer to them. Freya, breathed Tori. Her cart pulled up alongside them, her cats wailing a greeting. Freya flicked her reins at them and they subsided. Her lady reached to Ola and pulled her gently into the cart between Freya and herself. Ola had a smile of rapture on her face. Oh dear faithful Ola, chided Freya. I would never let you go on this journey alone. You girl, ride with him. She flipped her reins at her companion in the cart nearby. Join me, Torvi, said Thor. Awestruck, she climbed into his cart and he pulled out a warm rug for her in colors of red and blue. We love your grandmother, he said. Nothing's too good for her. He flicked the reins and his goats leapt higher into the sky. Torvi settled back, determined to remember every instant. Thor looked at her and said in a slightly offhand way, you're my descendants. She marveled at this because he did not look any older than she did. I'll keep watch over you after she leaves. Thank you. I, I want to remember every moment of this. Yes, I'll help you. She watched him, watched the cart ahead where Freya seemed to be in a merry conversation with Ola, and watched as Valkyries and a troop of nine came from behind and surrounded them. They rode magnificent horses and carried long shining spears. They saluted Ola and grouped themselves around the two carts. Light from the sky pulsed and reached for the swan women and Ulla. The northern lights wove a shimmering veil around them. In this formation, surrounded by green, eerie light, they flew across the boundary separating the human world from the other world, parting the veils. Ahead, in the light of snow and the dark moon, the great death mounds could be seen. A huge fire was burning in the center of the grave complex with smaller fires interspersed. The mounds were of different sizes and some were clearly those of kings and queens, judging by the size alone. A gathering of many different kinds of beings awaited them as they landed in a clearing. They stayed in the carts and drove now on the ground to a central mound. This was the mound of the Desir, the beloved female ancestors. A throng of beings gathered here, all reaching out to Ulla, seeming to want her notice, her touch, her look. She gave to all of them. Torvi would have leapt from the cart to help her, but Thor held her back. 
She's stronger than you could ever imagine, Torby, he said. Give her this moment. These are accolades. They're not taking from her. She nodded humbly and dumbly, unable to speak with the mystery and the sadness of imminent loss. The carts made their way to the opening of the Desir Mound. Here was a goddess waiting for Ulla. There were no others around her, for very few would dare to put themselves in the gaze of hell. Torvi saw her corpse face first, bringing home to her that this is what Ulla would be soon, a corpse. She sobbed and moved to exit the cart. Thor took her arm and then said gently, She's here, herself. This is unusual. He helped her from the cart and brought her to hell. Hell turned and showed Torvi her other face. Beautiful and breathtakingly kind. Torvi fell to her knees and grabbed the hem of Hell's gown. Hell and Thor exchanged a glance over her head. Hell nodded and Thor bowed slightly. Hell raised her and said, Daughter, I will take good care of her. Torvi nodded mutely. Freya and her companion Saga climbed gracefully from the cart. Thor reached into the cart and lifted out Ulla, who smiled and clasped his beard, tugging on it. All my prayers come true, she said. Yes, of course, my dear, of course. He looked at Hel, who nodded and preceded him into the mound. Torvi followed with Freya and Saga. They passed through a door and entered into a space so vast and yet so intimate that of all the wonders Torvi has seen this night, this was what would consume her thoughts for years afterwards. So many ancestors, so many vulvas, queens, giants, and norns. They all kissed Ulla, and many of them chucked Torvi on the chin or clasped her hand or shoulder. A party began that started with the passing around of her mead. She saw Ulla and Hel leave the party at some point, and Thor held her while she wept, determined not to dim the joy in her grandmother's eyes as she left. Thor held her until she had no more tears, and then he passed her his own mead. Her last memory was of Thor's cart, the sky, and the dusting of snow that he blew off of her face as he opened her door and brought her into her home. He tucked her into the bed box, threw logs on the fire which he was able to start in a flare of flame and wood snapping with his breath alone. Her grandmother's husk, still wrapped by the fire, he swaddled in more wrappings and laid on her bed with one of his own golden arm rings, kissing her brow, leaving the red and blue blanket with another arm ring with Torvi. He stepped out into the night. That was very beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm equally delighted and equally sad. I don't know which one is more appropriate. I'm touched by the 
deep love and commitment of death as a meeting place, as a crossroads where so many beings and ancestors, past and present, collide. And only in that moment is that possible. And what a blessing that is. How was it for you to experience that double crossing, Betsy? Well, I felt a very ancestral connection with this story. And I felt much as you're speaking about, Gabriella, that it was both wrenchingly sad and glorious at the same time. And I felt immensely honored to have been given even a glimpse of this. I also felt so strongly the humbleness of Ola, the sense that she had worked her many, many decades of her life on behalf of so many different kinds of beings. And as her body was failing, I mean, her wondering, like, will they remember me? And not even being sure of that. And to then find out, oh, yes, they know you and they mark this occasion. That felt amazing to me. I can certainly feel that moment as a, as a lifting of merit. There are times that people are able to really get a sense of their own strength, power, and place in the world. But with death as the great unknown, they're faced with their own fear, fear of being forgotten, even though they have stood in for so many beings and so many people as proof that they are not forgotten. So yes, that I also felt very touched by. and. Even hearing her say that, there was already such a heartbeat of a response from that other world and such a choir of them in confirmation, almost like that surprise would wake her into going further into where she was meant to be. I mean, I loved Torvi just holding the space for her, preparing this journey for her, and not wanting to let it be dimmed or diminished in any way by her own grief and her own sadness, but wanting to hold that this was a beautiful, magnificent recognition of her grandmother, whom she had known so specially, but also through knowing her and being taught by her. And there was also that passing to her of this incredible connection. And also being a witness to it that imprinted on her, her own possibility and the knowledge that her grandmother will be there because she's laying out the pathway for her. So even that being present for that death and that crossing over and that honor will be hers as well. And Torvi herself has come into the view of all of these gods and goddesses That will be a whole chapter to unfold in the future as well. Oh, good. (laughs) We like that. (laughs) Thank you, though. I felt very honored that this glimpse of this was shared with me. Did it change your feelings about your own eventual crossing? Which I hope will be very, very, very long from now, have to add. I think it did. 
I think for myself, I am a worker, you know, in the sense like Ula was, I'm a worker. I just work and work and I don't have any idea of what that looks like to anybody else. And I think that Ulla didn't either have any idea of what that looked like to others. And so that part's a mystery. That mystery I won't know until I meet it myself when it's time. But for now, I'm inspired by them both to do what I can and to also to be so grateful for the connections that I have with those beings that showed up in the story, all of whom I really love. And, you know, I loved the difference between the Tomte who'd lived intimately in the house with Ola for so many decades and the other land whites who had been such a part of her practice. And they had such different relationships with her that for the Tomte, it would be such a loss for the land whites. You're still you, we'll still play, we'll still be the same. A different reference point for sure. Yeah, definitely. That makes me feel sad for the Tomtes who go through so much change if they live for so long. See, what did you see or what do you feel connected with in the story? Oddly, Thor. I really liked the role of Thor and that's sort of my experience of Thor as an archetype and character. Was the very show-upness. He was very dear in this story. Very, very dear. And I loved the idea of her crossing and returning, having an escort, and how comforting that is. Well, and for her to have mirrored back to her all these different beings assembling on her behalf and to make her crossing on this incredible particular night of the year, too. Yeah, I did find myself wondering if anybody would remember me. If I would be there going, is anybody coming? (laughs) You felt that way, too. Yeah. I also felt like she hung on for, you know, until she could, until this time. Like there were particular times that would be important for her and those would be the time. Yeah. Yeah. I love the blessings of this world too and how much vastness there is and comfort in the mystery and the things we are able to see and also how much more awaits that is only accessible upon a certain departure. It certainly fills me with a lot of joy and gratitude and hope. I also want to mention Bjorn Torvi's husband, who stayed away so that she could do this with her grandmother. And that that kind of support, even if he can't understand the actual minute by minute what it all means or the tradition that's there, but the support that he had in trusting his wife and giving her that space, because it felt like he was with nearby neighbors. But giving them this night so that they could have it without his presence, because that lineage of women had been so strong and he knew it. We love him too. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate his offering, his giving of space. And his joy in the daughter to come. Like, hey, son will come. We're not, as the case may be, but. 
So as is Ulla, so as is Torvi, so comes air. Blessings. Blessed be the Deseer. Blessed be the Deseer. Thank you. Thank you, Betsy. And my story is also about the Dark Mound. And it's called The Mound of Ash Mountain, Part One. And it is a story of our beloved Lena and Serena that have made their appearance before and want to continue to make their appearance tonight. So once again, The Dark Mound. It has been eight moons since my beloved Lena disappeared into the other world in the heart of Ash Mountain Forest on a dark moon. They call this moon the Dark Mound Moon, for it opens up a gateway into the deep underworld and a railway into the home of the Alfar, the Pale Ones, the people under the hill, the beloved dead, and many other beings, many of whom do not want to be disturbed. The time since Lena's disappearance stretched slowly and painfully, suspending me in a surreal hanging space of disbelief that a person could just dissolve into thin air and go to a place I couldn't neither find or follow, even though it happened right before my eyes. At times I thought I had imagined it all, the night, all events leading up to it, my own place in the story, and maybe even Lena herself. What if I was a person who had lost her mind and nothing in my life was true? These dark thoughts crept in more often these days as my hope turned into despair and longingly, the idea of insanity seemed easier to deal with than the fact that I may never see the love of my life again. Don't go there, Serena. No need to go there and less to dwell there. My grandmother's bright and raspy voice shook me out of my moment. I took a deep breath and filled myself with its essence and felt how deeply my roots ran into the earth. Adeline Crow, my beloved grandmother, was right. No reason to stay in this fear-soaked cavern of my mind, where there were other caverns and places I needed to explore right now. I had to explore them if I was to find Lena, which is what I swore to do, and I would never break my promise. Now, let's go back to that moment again. Remember everything. Show me, Granny said, while taking a seat at the kitchen table and unfolding a piece of square red cloth. I sat across from her like so many nights lately. I laid my forearm and hand on the cloth as she laid hers on mine from the opposite side. This intensified our link and she could see into my memories and follow the important patterns like roads on a map. She wanted to see everything related to Lena's disappearance, look for clues, messages, things I might've missed. With closed eyes and my neck relaxed and head slightly leaning back, I let my thoughts drift into the past to seek out the important details my granny wished to see. But lately, it's been impossible for me not to seek out the other moments and my life with Lena that vividly danced in my heart and mind, comforting me and connecting me with her wherever she might be. As if remembering her would call to her so clearly that she would be able to find her way back. I remember when we first met in the forest how she glowed against the dark silhouettes of those old trees. The trees and grasses whispered when her hands first touched and greeting, awakening us a bond that was as deep as time and more precious than gold. 
Days and nights were spent together, sharing stories of where we have been before we've met and how we couldn't imagine not being together, wondering how we have survived this far without the depth of connection we now shared. Growing from adolescence to young women, magic and love deepened between us, opening up new possibilities and parts of ourselves we knew nobody else could understand. My own powers grew as I connected with my hereditary gifts of plant magic and healing. My seer's gifts opened up as well, which is how I was able to find Ash Mountain and the thin place where Lena was meant to go. But for Lena, who was not entirely human, as her gifts grew, she became more extraordinary and not just from the inside. Something is calling me, Serena. It is like a song I cannot resist that stirs and pulls at me, and the more I try to control it, the less I can contain it, she would say, and I could see that this was true. Her porcelain white skin, as always unusually pale, now would become translucent, and the patterns of lights and roots would glow clearly beneath the surface. And that wasn't the only change. Her dreams became more powerful and caused the lines between her world and whatever world called for her to blur. All the divination and petitioning spells I cast pointed us in one direction. The other world that was calling her was the only place that held the remedy for her condition. What I didn't share with Lena, under the instructions of my own guides and spirits, was that the journey she was on and the search for her own people opened up a road in my own destiny, which would change me in a profound way opening me up to a layer of power initiation I have not yet met. After all, it was I who drew the final map of where the Alfar thin place could be and took Lena to it. And sitting here, lost and without my beloved for so long, a part of me regrets the answering of that call, feeling responsible for it all and ultimately for losing Lena. Hot tears fill my eyes and despair clenches my heart. As I ponder this, summon your will, my sweet girl. We will find her. Show me the night she entered the mist again. We are getting close. I can feel it. Granny encouraged, aware of my despair as she gripped firmly onto my hand. I nodded and opened my mind to the memory of that moment, anchoring it in time and taking myself there all over again with Granny following along. Lena and I walk on the thin trail deeper into the woods, holding hands. The sky is dark, moonless, with a soft mist rising all around. I lead us, feeling the direction with my inner senses, but not my eyes. We walk in silence, our footsteps and breathing are the only sounds this forest makes, which is strange. Either no other creatures inhabit this forest or they are silent, watching us vigilantly. We walk for a good hour, though it's hard to tell time here, it could be longer. I use my hand to feel the air in front of me, which informs me where it feels the most strange and thin, which is the direction we want. By the time we get to the place where the trees open up to a bare circle, it is completely dark and thick mists roam around us. Lena feels this is the place, and indeed she is right. The mists thicken even more, and somehow she blends into them her form diluting in front of me until she disappears entirely. This is all I say out loud as I continue to linger in that moment, 
recalling all that came after once again, the strange silence and emptiness, the black formless space that I could sense beyond. I could smell the damp, sharp air so intensely that I can swear it's in the cottage where Granny and I now sit. I feel myself so surrounded by this moment back at the clearing that suddenly I can see what I have not seen before. Crows fly above me in a wide circle. A few drop to the ground and call loudly at my feet. I can see that there are figures behind the mists against a backdrop of something even darker than the night itself. I see now that it is a mound rising in front of me instead of the clearing that appeared there before. This is a first. I can feel my grandmother's hand tighten around mine. Maybe she's seeing it too. I can feel with my entire being that Lena is within this mound, beyond this veil, and if I demand strongly enough, calling on all my ancestors and familiar spirits, I will not be denied entry. I can feel my legs rooted into place, demanding that they recognize me and the authority of all those I walk with, known and unknown. I must enter, no matter what the cost. I must find her. I feel the spirits of the dark mound coming closer to me, their presence strong and threatening, making it hard for me to breathe. But I will not give up. I am so close and I stand my ground, willing to face them. They keep coming from all sides, arriving. There are so many, and they are so dangerously close, but I stay my ground. Suddenly, a tall being appears to arrive from my side, an overwhelming, terrifying presence, but familiar too. He stakes his staff into the ground before me so strongly that the other beings disperse and retreat, and I can breathe again. I turn my head slowly to glance at him, but all I can catch is a flash of white and red in his eyes, a terrible smile, and the smell of spicy tobacco. Serena, stay with me. Don't go any further. I hear Granny's alarming voice echo above the mists, which now seem to be all around us in the cottage. Stop, child, stop! She yells even louder and claps her hands above me with ferocity. I feel myself flying above the mound and then falling, falling into the chair at Granny's table, panting and startled. You scared me, child. What happened? I could not follow you wherever you went. Adeline gasped, her eyes open wide as she examined my face with worry. I took my time coming back, collecting myself and recalling what had just happened. There was a chill in the cabin now, a present darkness that the warm fire couldn't conceal. I could sense that Granny felt it too. I saw a mound at the clearing this time, and I know that's where Lena is. I know it. There were other beings there too, great and horrible. Some did not want me to see them, but I did. This dark mound has always been there, but it's been disguised by some great magic, and something changed today, and I could see it. We are so very close. I must go back there. What else did you see? Who was there? You must tell me, Adele demanded, feeling the one presence of the story I had yet to share. I saw a man, very tall, with bird skull necklaces and a staff, his face obscured by a wide-brimmed hat, but his hands as black as crow wings. He appeared right as I begged for keepers of the mound for entry, and I believed I called him to protect me, to match the great powers of the mound, but it was not a conscious call, Granny. 
It came from a deeper place within me I did not know existed. Adele gasped quietly, her face frozen in thought and concern. I could tell she was taken back by what I just shared. Slowly, she got up from the table and headed to the cabinet where she kept her shells and reading bones. She didn't reach for her usual set, but rather for an old bundle, kept at the very back of the shelf in a leather pouch that I've never seen before. Granny, what's going on? Who was that? I asked, feeling the consequences of my visit and strange meeting taking form. Hush, child, let me gather myself and think, she replied in an unusually short tone. She stood with the bundle of bones in her hand, feeling its weight and gravity that seemed to affect her usual calm and uplifting demeanor. Move the table, move the rug that's beneath it, she instructed me, and I did just that at once. With the rug moved and the bare wooden floor exposed, faded red symbols within a circle were drawn on the floor some time ago. I felt a shiver go through me as I looked at the designs as faded as they might be. Fetch me the chalk, bowl of water, and a red candle, Granny requested, and I moved quickly to gather these items. After the candle was lit and water set on the floor, Adeline began to hum softly an old song while tapping her cane on the floor in a trance-inducing rhythm. The song made me so dizzy that I was unable to stand for very long, and I had to lower myself onto the floor. Feeling called to do so, I began to sing along feeling the rhythm and power of the song move through me. Granny began to trace a new layer of the old symbols with crisp white chalk over the old, a big cross in the middle, detailed circle loops around the edges like scalloped leaves on the staff of each arm. I was mesmerized, feeling an ancient power rise before us, unstoppable. Granny threw the bones onto the floor, which gave shape to a man-like figure and a staff or so it appeared to me in my swimming vision. He comes for you, child. He comes for you, Adele yelled and clapped her hands loudly, and just as she did so, a loud knock rattled the cottage door. Come in, Father Crossroads, Adele said firmly, and the door opened. A tall, dark man in a wide-brimmed hat and a staff entered her cottage, and with him, a strong smell of spicy tobacco. It's been a long time, Adeline Crow, he said in a voice and accent that flowed along with the song I was humming, and he looked right at me. I believe you were the one who called me, yes? His face, impossible to place or describe, black and gray and full of shadow, with eyes like red fire looking into mine. I nodded, feeling the strength of his gripping gaze, and rose slowly to stand before him. Why did you call me Serena Crow? I must enter the mound, and I cannot do it alone, I said, and feeling that was not enough of an answer, I added, I am looking for my beloved. She is beyond my reach, and I will do anything to find her. Anything, he smiled coyly. Answer carefully, Serena, I heard my granny whisper, sensing the seriousness and danger of his question. I looked at her, seeking her face for the right answer and for her wisdom, but she shook her head. This is yours alone. It is between you and him, and I cannot interfere. I took a deep breath. No price is high enough for love, I said slowly. And I trust you 
and that whatever you ask will be something I can offer. Granny exhaled deeply, and it seemed that it was in relief. And he laughed, which sounded like a raspy rattle and a cat's murmur all at once. Trust me. Well, that's a good start for our relationship, he said, and came closer to me, the smell of tobacco lifting my spirits in hope. And now as I glanced at his face, I saw that it glowed with a deep wisdom and kindness, which was more true to his nature in this moment than his mischievous grin. I will help you, for without me, you cannot enter the mound. You need a messenger who speaks the language of all forbidden places, and that messenger and guardian is me. You and I have much work to do. Are you willing? He asked, and with every fiber of my being, I agreed. Now, my journey to find Lena and my new path of connection to an ancient mystery of forbidden places and magic had truly begun. The Dark Mound has revealed herself, and soon, as the Dark Moon was nearing, I would be entering through her gates, this time with a great and powerful guardian and friend. The end for now. I definitely look forward to part two and the conclusion. That was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, very beautiful. I love your writing. I love the way I feel like I'm being pulled into the circumstances, no matter what they are. Yes, and this was particularly beautiful. Thank you, thank you. And you left with a cliffhanger. I certainly <laughs> did. <laughs> that part of the story was hidden behind the mound. Um, but it still felt um, as a good place to start. Right. I think it's a particularly lovely portrayal of the dual capabilities of different spirit beings of under certain circumstances being everything you need and other circumstances being quite terrifying, I imagine. And I love the deep love that Serena has for Lena and I definitely want to get to know the grandmother more and more. The grandmother's pretty great. <laughs> She's very skilled and adept and wise. And yet who Serena is is who she is and what she'll do, whatever Granny's wisdom might be. Exactly. Well, and also in Adele's wisdom, she she knows that certain meetings certain connections and certain coming together of meeting of certain tutelary spirits and guides are bigger and how she has to choose her words and really search for the right answers as they come from her and not from anybody else. No one can advise her on how to make relationship with these powerful beings that are part of her ancestral lineage that certainly one might have to be careful about to make certain agreements just by nature of their power and understanding the consequences and responsibility of magic and acts of magic and changing things and crossing different thresholds and meeting different beings of various worlds that under normal circumstances people wouldn't meet. Or wouldn't want to meet, perhaps. Exactly. 
But it also strikes me that Lena being not fully human is a liminal space being within herself. And that's going to also change things, I imagine. Absolutely. And more and more just in being in the story with these with with all the people in it, it very much feels that a much bigger part is being revealed by how they all come together. How is it for you to be walking in that liminal space and not know your own direction, your own path, either forward or back, clearly? I certainly felt that I got to observe it more than be in it. The only aspects that I wasn't observing, but I was really called to, instructed to write, was the being that showed up for Serena herself. I had no idea that that being would be part of the story. So from that perspective, I was at the crossroads of meeting another beautiful, powerful being. I'm very grateful for that. It does strike me that we want to do some stories, particularly about the crossroads, so that our dear listeners have a sense of what we're talking about when we talk about the powers of the crossroads as well. I believe that was his idea as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad to put words to it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But I'm so touched by the love that your character has for Lena and what she's willing to do for her, the ferocity of her spirit, but also the deep love and it can never hurt to have any somebody like a grandmother by your side. I love their connection as well. Mm-hmm. It's pretty special. Do you have any sense of where this is going or is it going to be a mystery to you too? Well, I think where it's going is we will hear Lena's experience and what she has been going through for the last well, we're guessing eight months, but we really don't know because time might be different where she is. So I think that's coming as well as the preparations that will have to happen for Serena and the guardian and the guardian, the crossroads guardian that are necessary before the worlds can come together again, those two worlds. And it's so fascinating to think of, you know, and for our our listeners to think of that There are times of the year when certain things are accessible and times when they simply are not accessible. And how time and different realities plays such a different, um, play out so differently. It's very true. How do you feel about the obfuscation of the landscape? Well, I think that's part of that persistence that Serena has maintained, you know, leaving no stone unturned. And and I do feel that she, because she is who she is and she is connected to the land, at a certain point, the land listens and responds to her plea as she is a citizen of this world and shows her that there is another world beneath this one. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's her connection and persistence to the land that allows for that final seeing. So thank you. 
Thank you for listening. But it seems as though in a, a month or so that it's a time when the mounds are also available. So who knows? Maybe that story will continue sooner than we think. I think so. <laughs> At least for me, there's no telling when things want to be revealed. It's part of the great mystery. So let the timing be what it needs to be for all great stories to come. Thank you, dear listeners. And thank you, Gabriella, for your wonderful story. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, C. Yes, thank you both. They were very, very beautiful. And special thanks to the fantastic Zoe Magic for her phenomenal editing skills.